0: Good morning. Today is going to look a little bit different, as you can see. Um, We are just going to continue to talk about some of um, the harder topics to talk about, and today it is racial prejudice. So when we talk about these dynamics, we want to look at ways that we as people or a society have shown racial prejudice towards um, other people who are not of their same ethnicity, whether it's intentional or unintentional. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Um, Before we dive into our questions, let's start with one, like why are we having a panel of these incredible people? And so I wanted to read a scripture that hopefully answers that question for you. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 14 says, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of, many part, of one part, but many. So usually we focus on spiritual gifts in the body of Christ, but today we want to look at all the different backgrounds and ethnicities and realize that we are all beneficial. We are all necessity. And we all have equal parts in the body of Christ. So as we talk today, we want our conversations to be open. We want our conversations to be honest. But we also want to help and um, all understand how to be a bridge builder of reconciliation. So I'd like for our panel to introduce themselves. Give us your name, who your family is, um, maybe where you work or who you, what you do, and your ethnic heritage.
1: My name is Spencer Smith. Um, My work in leadership for a a large telecommunication company Uh, My background is my father is uh, african-american and my mother is Native American Um, Allegheny and is our tribe Um, of course 23 andme is gonna tell us a little bit different story in that, but that's uh, primarily our our genetic uh, makeup of uh, uh, who we are Um, I am the fourth of six children in my uh, six kids, we have all different shades, shades of chocolate that's in our family. <laughs> so we have dark chocolate, there's two. We have two of us that are milk chocolate, and then we have white chocolate for the other two. So, <laughs> um, so very different uh, complexions within my family growing up, uh, being that mixed race. Um, I did marry a, a woman that is a first-generation Greek. Um, her father is uh, Greek and um, actually from Greece. Her mother is from a small town called DeLand, Illinois, um, and she's mostly German. And together, between the two of us, we have four children. So um, Raya, Maile, Azarais, and uh, Amara. So three girls and one boy. Um, so when you look at our background and my background and my wife's background, I guess I could easily say it is what my nephew says, it: we're all mixed up. So. <laughs> <laughs> I love it.
2: I'm Anadia Schrader. I am originally from Colombia, South America. I lived there the first eight years of my life, and then we moved, my whole family, all of us from Colombia, my immediate family, we moved to a very white area in 1979 to um, Kalamazoo, Michigan. Um, So that's my heritage, very Latina. And I am married to Joel Schrader. He's actually working the blue way right now for me. Uh, He is American. And we have two really cute girls, Oli and Isa, who are 11 and 9. And Joel and I work full time with a Christian student organization. You might have heard of it. It's called Crew, and we work within Crew in a ministry called Bridges International, which is just a part of Crew that we spend most of our time um, helping give every international student here an opportunity to know who Christ
3: is. My name is Kevin Teal, and I work at Carl in the neurosurgery area. Um, My wife, Yvonne, and I have two children, uh, grown and out of the house now. We're empty nesters, which is very nice. Uh, (laughs) I highly recommend it. Uh, And Gabriel's, our son, is in Savannah. My daughter is a senior at SIU Carbondale, Carissa. And um, I'm African-American, and with the ancestry profile, there's a sprinkling of European in there, so we get a little diversity.
0: Um, tell me what you love about who you are.
1: Um, being a mixed race, um, that's, I, I feel is a, it's a gift. I particularly enjoy that because it means that I get to be able to go in with all different types of worlds and all different types of people. Um, growing up, I went to an all-white high school. Um, that was my main exposure. But I was also known to be able to go down to the city where a lot of African-Americans were and, and being in that environment. Um, when I came out here to go to, I'm originally from Ohio, when I came out here to go to school, um, the first people that I roomed with were people from East St. Louis, so it's heavily African-American. Um, some people that may be a little bit scary for some of them, but to my exposure, it wasn't. Uh, we used to go down on the campus for the U of I and to talk to girls and stuff, and I'd, I would talk <laughs> to white girls, and and they walked up to me, and they would say, Spencer, like, how can you talk to those white girls like that we we don't have the audacity to be able to do that but i, mean, I thought it was a gift not only just to be able to talk to white girls but uh <laughs> to be able to you know going back and forth between the worlds um and i look at it from uh a lens as well too i often get confused with you know are you mexican are you puerto rican but I mean, to be able to go through different worlds is i think is one of the best things about being me awesome.
2: i love being colombiana being latina i Love that we're very expressive, and I'm very passionate. I mean, everything I do, I do very passionately. I brush my teeth passionately. I take a shower passionately. I'm just really excited all the time. I'm very expressive. Um, and I know my husband likes to call it drama, but I personally think it's God's zeal that he gave me for life. So, yeah.
3: I think being an African-American, um, as Spencer said, we, we do learn to live in different worlds. Um, we speak uh, many languages. One of them is... Uh, jive, one of them can be called ebonics, one of them can be called Spanish, so I mean I think that we get to move in different worlds because we have to. I think culturally we've been in worlds, I've been in a situation where I was the only black in a graduating class at high school, and so we learn to be comfortable in different environments. I think that's part of our fluidity. And so I think as African Americans we learn to be fluid uh, if we're going to you know, move around and interact with different people. And also I think we pride just authenticity, Hopefully. Uh, and I think we have you know, some fake people, <laughs> but I think generally we pride real conversations, real encounters. Uh, when we worship, we worship passionately. We want to uh, really engage with God, so we take that seriously, and I think that that's uh, part of our heritage, and just making the best of a bad situation. That is, I think, at the heart of what the African-American experience has been about, and just trusting God to see us through it. So I'm, uh, culturally, that legacy, I think, is a strong one.
0: So what is the most off-the-wall question, comment, or situation you've experienced at church related to
1: race? I don't think I've had an um, off-the-wall question with a, a member within the church community. Um, I think the, the most people that feel comfortable asking that question, I have a relationship with, and um, even if it's, you know, a, a question that seems maybe a little bit odd, um, I know what their intent is, and I, and I trust that. I trust in them, what, what they're trying to be able to ask and seek clar- clar- uh, clarification on. But um, I could talk towards, um, you know, the most frequent question that I get is, can I touch your hair? <laughs> 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 and, you know, that question's okay, you know, because we all have different hair types and hairstyles and stuff. Um, but it's not so much the question that gets me that when people say, can I touch your hair? But it's, it's like, touch it? And then it's followed by this unconscious <laughs> wipe of you know of the hand, and it's like you know my hair is pretty dry. I Anna, mean, you can touch it. Is it pretty dry, right? Uh-huh. No soap, <laughs> no soaplo or oil or anything that's in there. It's just like you know what's so. I mean, my wife tells me I smell funny all the time, but I don't think that you know I'm dirty, right? But. Uh, but I would say that's the most common reaction that I usually get is that hand wiping. that's it, I I learned to be able to make fun with it versus mm-hmm. looking at it thinking there's something wrong with somebody. But it's yeah. Just,
2: yeah. I think for me, uh, like an off the wall comment or uh, question I got asked a while ago. I think it was actually in in church. Um, so I'm from Colombia and I have a lot of family there. My parents still have a home there, and um, Joel and I go to visit. And I was getting ready to go visit Colombia, and um, my friend here. Um, and again, I, I take no offense. I thought it was actually kind of funny, but it, it was kind of weird. She was like, "So wait, so what do they speak in Colombia? Wait, do they speak Mexican?" And <laughs> it was really cute because I'm after explaining where Colombia is, and no, we also, you know, most of South America speaks Spanish. Um, talking about that. Um, then getting ready to leave, she's like, oh yeah, so have a, have, have a great time, eat as many tacos as you can for me. And I just want to make it clear, like, I love Mexico, I love Mexico, so if there are me- Mexicanos here, awesome. I have family that lives in Mexico, I have family that is married into um, Mexican families that are amazing, and I love tacos, and I love burritos, but I think it's so funny that when you meet a Hispanic like me or a Latina, I think it can be easy to assume that we all are Mexican and we all eat tacos and burritos. But you guys, I love sancocho and lentejas and plátanos and arepas. Um, So I was just really kind of (laughs) cute.
3: I don't know what those are, actually. I know it's like, (laughs) I'm about to get some of those. Okay.
2: Arepas are awesome. Anybody? Arepas? Arepas.
3: (laughs) I think for me, thankfully, I mean, I haven't had uh, crazy experiences in church. Um, But I think historically the African-American church has had, uh, got birth out of bad experiences that African-Americans had in predominantly Anglo churches. I mean, one of the reasons that we have a denomination called the African Methodist Episcopal is because some Africans were uh, told that they couldn't pray on the main floor of the church. They tapped one guy who was praying and told him he needed to go pray up in the balcony. So because they didn't want to be isolated like that, they broke off and formed another church, right? And I think that's part of the legacy of America spiritually, is that we haven't been able to historically cohabitate well, uh, different races. And, um, and so I had a friend who came visiting here one time, and we were talking about churches and experiences, and, and his experience was that people were too friendly. And I thought that was an odd comment, but he just said people were... I mean, in a way, people were so trying to be engaging with him and warm toward him that he got a little freaked out. He thought he had a get out moment or something, for those who've seen that movie. I mean, he just got a little freaked out. And so I think we have to be open to the fact that we're going to have to do this God's way, right? It's going to be a little uncomfortable. We're going to have some tough conversations at times, but I think we've got to start and understand people have different boundaries. People have different feelings. Maybe they want to fist bump. Maybe they want to elbow, maybe they want to high five, maybe they just want to know you can say good morning in English to them. So we want to be open to just interacting with people in a way that makes them comfortable, but that also lets them know they're welcome. And I think that's the important thing.
0: So what do you see as a major misunderstanding of racial prejudice?
1: I see from um, being a mixed race, um, and as I talked about dating white girls predominantly uh, when I was growing up, um, is that if you were to have uh, mixed kids, that your kids are going to grow up confused. And I think that that's probably the, more the minority than the majority of us. Um, I think that we're comfortable in our skin, and we know exactly who our identity is. Um, I also think that uh, you know racism, you, know, you hear the comment that racism no longer exists in the 2000s. It, it exists. Um, and it, it, it's in our community. It's just whether if you open up your eyes and be able to see it, So it it is real and it does exist. Um, I do think that when you look at racism, it can easily be um, disguised as racial biases versus racism, which racism would be um, a hatred towards a group or people or more superiority of one group over the other versus a bias um, about the way that you may feel or think about a particular group. Um, I guess I could be able to share a story Mm -hmm. of a um, in my corporate environment um, where I work, accountability is really high. And um, sometimes we really wanna be able to take it to the person to be able to take ownership. However, sometimes it may take it to a person where we may have to do corrective actions or uh, may cost them some financial compensation. Um, but there was one, one, there was one lady that um, felt like, you know, I was treating her unfairly. And so she went into my boss's office with this huge list of things to be able to say that Spencer is racist against white people. And my boss heard it out the whole time. And she leaned over and she said, have you ever seen a picture of Spencer's wife? And she's like, no, why? Well, she ain't black. <laughs> so, yeah. But and the woman just assumed that, you know, being that I was an African American, that I would also have an African American wife, mm-hmm. which was a bias. Mm-hmm. So.
2: I think a misunderstanding that can happen with uh, racial prejudice is, I think it's really easy to sit and maybe think to yourself, well, you know, I, I don't. I don't put other people down in my mind, or I don't i don't have a problem with people being from a different ethnic background or a different race than me, so I'm okay. So this whole conversation doesn't really apply to me. But I think that racial prejud- prejudice isn't just the negative thinking of someone else. I think it's also lacking or missing out on the positive of what God would want us to do, which is to actually reach out to the person that he's put in our path. I think all of us here have people that live in our neighborhood, or people that we see daily at work, or just or a mom that we see at the playground every week, um, and they're a different ethnicity, they're from a different country, and it's easy for us to just kind of smile, wave, wave hi, um, but we don't go out of our way to get to know that person and to invite them into our home. So I think if at the end of the day, the only people that you really befriend, the only people that you really hang out and do life with are just like you, then... It's not just, oh, I don't think badly about someone. I think, honestly, God calls us to something way greater, which is what he did with us, right? He, he didn't just wait for me to come to him, but he, because I won't, <laughs> he comes to us. He became one of us. He emptied himself completely and entered our world. And I think that's really the heart of racism is that we're able to empty ourselves and not wait for someone to come to me, but for me to step into their world and get to know them and ask them into a relationship. Come to my home. I want to cook, cook you a meal. I want to get to know you better.
3: I think one of the biggest dangers with with discussions on racism is I think we can kind of break along these fault lines and some of it's illusion that it doesn't really apply to us. We're really not doing it. It doesn't really affect us. And I think, sadly, there's a legacy of what racism has done in this country, and the reality of it is it does affect all of us, and it continues to affect people in ways that we don't think about. Um, and so I think we have to be careful to... Um, hear people out when they're coming with a different experience, hear people out when things aren't necessarily working uh, for them in a way that's comfortable, that makes them feel valued, Um, because I think it, it really is antithetical to what God is all about. God is not about prioritizing one group over another group. That's just not how He operates, right? Because in God's eyes, we're all sinners needing Savior, right? And so when we, when we step back and get God's perspective on his love for people of all types, all ethnicities, all origins, then it really challenges us to love them like Jesus. And I think that's that's where we have to be careful to understand how dangerous um, racial activity that tries to hinder people's progress and development is really dangerous. I think we all have our preferences. Uh, maybe you don't like tacos. Maybe you like um, <laughs> pig feed or chitlins. Maybe you like all that. So. Differences shouldn't be something that becomes a wall that we hide behind and we start lobbing grenades at each other or stop interacting with each other. It's, a, it's about being relational.
2: Let's go get tacos after this. Fantastic. Amen.
0: <laughs> so if our school stores and workplaces are diverse, why do you think the local church struggles with creating diversity? Maybe speak into how or why you think the church is more segregated on a day when we're supposed to come together to worship.
1: I think it's, it may deal with a little bit of um, we're more absorbed into ourself versus them or others, um, I should say. Um, I think that within the church community, um, we can do a little bit better getting outside of our comfort zones um, and going to be able to see other people or um, you know not put what we think that we know versus getting to be able to build a relationship with a group that's not as similar as you. Um, Yeah, and, and I sure, I'm, I'm pretty positive that, you know, most of our church community aren't racist, that they don't, they don't look at people with hate within the church, but we do have our biases um, that are out there. And I, I think focusing on those biases and taking them head-on will help develop it, and I think that's where our opportunity would be.
2: Absolutely. I think probably one of the main reasons that it doesn't look as segregated outside the church, like at our workplace and the stores that we shop at, The playgrounds um, but it does look segregated here Um, is just because outside of the church we don't really have a choice right like we you know there's the stores are for everybody and you have to go grocery shopping you can't really choose who goes along um, grocery shopping with you or who gets put at work with you. But at church, we have a choice. We, we don't have to be here. And so I think at the end of the day, you put people together geographically from different ethnicities, that doesn't mean that you're really getting to people's hearts, which only God can do. And I think again, at the end of the day, if, if, if we see church as just this building that we go to on Sunday morning and we check it off our list, but we don't see that we, as a people, I'm a part of the church. I'm the body. I'm a part of the body of Christ. That If we're not reaching out to people during our everyday life that are different than us and befriending them, not just saying, oh, hi, you know, your neighbor, but like actually taking time, which is hard for us because we're very event-oriented. We go from task to task. We're not as relational as other cultures. But if we don't take the time to get to know that person and to say, hey, you know what? We've been neighbors for a long time, but I don't really know you that well. I want to invite you over to dinner. I want to hear about your life. If we're not getting to know people on an everyday level as a church, as the body of Christ, then our churches are always just going to be with people that look just like us.
1: And if any of you guys want to invite me and my family over to dinner, there's six of us. We do do tacos, so we will take you up on the dinner (laughs) if you want to take a house full of kids.
3: I think the struggle with the church uh, is one that's a struggle for humanity, right? I think God is big enough to love all of us and to have a plan for all of us, and he wants us to relate to others um, in a way that values them and values his his love for them, right? And so that's a, that's a monumental challenge. And I think our churches reflect the brokenness that we have sometimes. And so I think if we're going to get beyond that, we've got to prioritize being uh, who God called us to be. I think it's kind of sad, honestly, that we can go in the world and see a lot more diversity and we come into church and we don't. And I believe that uh, that's a personal challenge to each of us. Who are, we re- who are we reaching out to, like Anna said? Who are we building relationships with, who say, what are you doing on Sunday morning? Well, I'm going to church, can we tag along? Uh, I think part of where we are is our, is our geography. I mean, we're in Southwest Champaign, but going up around us are apartment complexes and different places that I believe God's gonna use us to draw those people to him. If we're open when they show up, to love them, to encourage them that's, that's gonna be a geographic challenge for us. I think culturally, um, you know, coming from Texas, coming to the Midwest, they're just different things culturally, right? But I think God is bigger than our cultures. God is bigger than our race, and God wants us to be open to uh, interacting with him at that level. Sadly, I mean, Martin Luther King said, the 11 o'clock hour was the most segregated hour in America. And some of that back in the 60s and 70s was people preaching from the pulpit segregation, people validating that foolishness, right? We're not doing that anymore, hopefully, but we've gotta be careful, personally, how are we living that out? I think that, that's a challenge to us.
0: To continue on with, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. wrote a book called Strength to Love, and one of the quotes is, we cannot long survive spiritually separated in a world that is geographically together. And you touched a little bit on that, uh, Dr. Teal. Would you expand on that a little bit?
3: Well, I think, again, it ties into how our church is gonna become places where we're good neighbors. To each other, right? And this is the challenge. I mean, I hate it. I mean, I wish God didn't have this in part of his curriculum. I wish it was just transactional, right? Hey, saw your church, hey, have a blessed week. You know, but God wants me to stop and ask, how, how are you doing? How's your marriage doing? Uh, how are your kids doing? Um, how's work going? Because God wants me to get down in a level where we're relating and not just checking the box together. So I think we can be geographically in the same place, but spiritually fragmented, if I don't stop to engage with you like that, right? And that chapter in that book, uh, Dr. King is talking about the good Samaritan who stopped and helped that man on the side of the road, right? And really, to be honest, we're all on the side of the road in some way. We all got drama and issues. We tuck it all in and make it look good for Sunday, but we got major issues behind the scene, right? So how do we come alongside each other and encourage each other with the diagnosis of cancer? or a lost job, or a kid acting crazy, or a spouse talking sideways. We gotta relate to each other. So that's the challenge that God is leading us to. Not to be in the same place and not connected. I think that's the danger. A lot of people are in a diverse workplace, but they don't know anybody in the workplace. They don't know the struggles of those people. So we wanna be not captive to geography, but spiritually connected with each other through Christ.
0: I'm going to read a passage from Revelation 7, 9, um, and the passage is discussing the vision of John in regards to the kingdom of God um, at the end times. It says, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were, he- they were wearing white coats and were holding palm branches in their hands."
2: When we read and
0: hear this passage, and then look at the church of today, what comes to mind?
2: I think, for me personally, it's such a beautiful picture of that racism isn't being colorblind or just kind of saying, "Oh, you know, we're all just one in Christ." Therefore, you know, we, you know, we don't really, um, we can just move forward and get on with it, and not acknowledge people's differences. Um, actually just came out of a conference that we had with um, a little over 700 students um, that are all undergrad, Ph.D., grad students um, from 77 different nations. So 77 different countries were all gathered under one roof, you guys. It was amazing. Amazing. And most of those students don't know the Lord. Some some do. And we spent four days engaging in God's Word and learning about Jesus and God's love. And I think the biggest thing that student after student after student said after those four days was it was so beautiful to see all the different parts of the world, the cultures, and that people love each other. There is so much love here. I've never felt this kind of love before. And so when I think about that passage, I think about how God, the biggest thing about the Lord, right, is that he is love, that he's willing, that he made us all so differently. And when we come together, we don't get rid of our unique differences you know that i'm latina and i love you know expression and i mean that there's different there's differences and we don't get rid of those but we celebrate them and what brings us together is that common thing that all of us share which is the desire to be loved a desire to be included a desire to know that we have value and worth and i think the only one that can give that to us is jesus it's not our schools, our education, Amen. you going to a diversity class at the university. You may learn something about other cultures, but the only one that can change your heart and give you a love for those people and want to know them and spend time with them and hear them and be with them is Jesus. And so I just, I love that um, image of differences coming together because what we have in common is that we love we, we love God and we have a desire to be loved by him. Isn't this
0: incredible? Like, oh, I just love it. Um, so as we wrap up, what would be one piece of advice or suggestion for everyone to be a bridge builder of reconciliation?
1: I would head back off a little bit what Honda uh, just said. You know, one, if you don't already have Jesus within your heart, get to be able to know him because he will show you that love. Yeah. Um, when you talk about love for others, you know, pray about it, um, you know, and to be able to see it through a clear lens. Um, and I think that you know, if you're praying upon it and asking to be able to see people um, as God asks us to be able to see people as children of God, um, he'll show it to you. Um, use the resources that are out there, they're available to you. Um, I did a, a study um, through uh, Harvard University. It was called uh, Project Implicit. And it was, it was really powerful and eye-opening for me. And it's gonna take you through a series of tests that will look at things on how your bias may be against females, um, how are you biased against uh, disabled, um, a disabled person with disabilities? and maybe uh, biases against black and white. And it was a really good test, and it was eye-opening for me to see some of those things of area opportunities for me. Uh, through the church, we offer tons of other programs that are out there. Um, I did Night to Shine for two years, and first going into it, I was uncomfortable. And, and looking at that test when I took it, I was like, I, I knew it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, It's going to be uncomfortable. I didn't know what to expect. I had my own opinions on it, but I needed to step out there and and, and take it. And once I got into that environment, I'm like, man, this is where the party's at. (laughs) It's like, I I really enjoy doing Night to Shine because uh, how much fun those kids were having. And I just wish I had just a little bit of the energy that they had in Uh celebration with each other and um, you know but the church has that um available for us we have uh, the go truck that's out there mm-hmm. to be able to use and take out through the community I mean, but get connected within the church use the resources that are there connect with the small group that's out there as well too because our small groups are diverse and uh that's really eye-opening too so yeah. tap on the resources
2: yeah i would just say especially as a christian go to the lord and say no god who who is even just one person that you've put in my neighborhood that i see constantly or that you've put in my workplace that i don't even have to go out of my way i'm just going to see them every day and then instead of just saying hi and being done with that and saying how are you but actually taking a step towards them and say you know what i really want to have you over like come bring your family or, or you come over for dinner and so i would just say a, a really good step is just maybe think of one person that god's laying on your heart that's different than your own culture um, and start to get to know them, because I think as you do that, you'd be so amazed at like, what a blessing it really is when you meet people from other cultures.
3: So. I would definitely agree with those statements. I think uh, I was sharing with the audience earlier, information is power, and I think a lot of times we're just ignorant I mean, of things. We, we don't know what's going on, so I think a lot of us get scared, and I think I, I mentioned three references. Uh, the first, uh, first is a book called Myth of a Christian Nation, that was written by Pastor Boyd up in Minnesota. Very eye-opening book that looks at how, as Christians, sometimes we can get off message if we're not careful. Uh, Another book that's helpful is a book called The New Jim Crow, which looks at how we've weaponized the the prison system to hurt cultures, particularly African American cultures, in ways that I I don't think a lot of people are are aware of. I wasn't aware of before I read the book. Uh, And the the last book, deals with how we interact with people. I think sometimes we get scared about how we're going to help people. There's a book that Pastor Danny introduced to me called When Helping Hurts, and it's a book that the ministry in town uh, uses, and it's a very helpful book because it just shows you how sin has damaged every system that we interact with, not only us personally, but society systemically. And I think a lot of times we take it for granted. Well, the government's going to get this right or the education system's going to get it right. Nobody's going to get anything right without Jesus, period. Until Jesus transforms our hearts and minds, we're broken. And we've got to continually see ourselves as in need of renewal and restoration. And even as believers, we can get off track. We can do some dumb stuff. And so we've got to be careful to let the Spirit lead us and guide us.
0: That is our program and our service today. Can you give them a round of applause? That was incredible so so incredible thank you thank you thank you for being here um i wanted to pray for us and then we're gonna have dr teal uh just take us through the end of the message so jesus you are good and it is good to be with you today and it is so good to talk about things that are uncomfortable and to talk about things that might push some buttons in us but god It's because you want to bring peace and you want to bring that reconciliation. And so, Jesus, when we walk out these doors today, would you change us? That this week, would you give us the person or people that we need to talk to and become in relationship with so that we can be those bridge builders? God, we know that heaven is going to be gorgeous and beautiful and full of every color and tribe and tongue. And so would you let um, earth just look a little bit like that? And would you start with us? God, just start with us. We are so thankful for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
3: As we move to a time of response, uh, I wanted to thank Pastor Danny, uh, Aaron, and the FCC staff for putting this uh, together. Uh, This is a tough topic. Uh, This is a conversation a lot of people avoid. We just want to skip over this and talk about everything, the football game, what's going on with the basketball team. And and I think God is pushing us um, to be reconcilers. Um, And so I think as we learn and move forward as a church, um, this is going to be an opportunity for us to grow, right? I believe God's getting ready to do something pretty significant with First Christian, but it's going to take us being ready for that, being ready for different people to show up different socioeconomic levels, different racial levels, um, having people uh, who are going to need Jesus, and we're going to have to be his ambassadors, right? And now the, this is not a struggle that's new, right? When we look in the Bible, we see that Peter was challenged by God in the book of Acts to go to the house of a man named Cornelius. And that was a problem for Peter because Peter was Jewish and Cornelius was a Gentile. And in Peter's culture, to go to Cornelius' house would make him unclean. So God is so sovereign that before he went to Cornelius' house, God gave Peter a vision in which he saw a sheet coming down from heaven, and he saw all these things trafing through this sheet, and the message was that God had cleansed everything and everybody in the world through the mission of Jesus Christ. And when Peter went to Cornelius' house in the book of Acts chapter 10, 34 through 36, Peter came to a revelation that Luke recorded this way. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts every nation, the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. So Jesus came to reach all races, every gender, every social class, and he offers us all access to God through his cross. So, as we said before, this is not a work you and I can manufacture. Only God's work in our hearts is going to make us love people the way God loves people, make us comfortable having these conversations, make us comfortable venturing into other arenas that God is going to call us into. But the Bible says something very powerful in 2 Corinthians 5, 18-21. It says, all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ That in him we might become the righteousness of God. So, as we respond to what was shared today, may we all reflect and remember that the love, grace, and mercy of Jesus came to make us part of God's family. And that means we become brothers and sisters in Christ, and God expects us to live as a family. So, if you're visiting today at First Christian, there are different ways we operate in this time of response. The first way you can operate is by offerings. We have some boxes in the back of the room where you can put your offering in. Uh, Regular attenders use the Give app uh, where they can download their phone and give directly to the church that way. Another thing we do in this time is communion. You'll see these tables with candles on them, and that's an opportunity for believers who've accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior to memorialize his death, burial, and resurrection and the reconciliation that that bought us. So when we take that bread and we take that juice, it reminds us of Jesus' body, which was broken for us. It reminds us of Jesus' blood, which was shed for us and established a new covenant we have with God that reconciled us to him. And so we, we encourage you to do that if you're a believer. We recommend that you stop and just pray a moment while you're there. Think about what God has done for you. Thank him for that. And if you have any sins that you may know about or don't know about, that's a good time to pray. Because the Bible says don't take that unworthily. Think about what it costs God to reconcile you to him and take a a, a moment and just thank God for that. And the last way you can uh, interact in this time, we have prayer benches here. And we call that down home, doing business with God. Maybe God has spoken to your heart in this little uh, session that we had. Maybe God has shown you a relationship that maybe didn't go so well in the past. Maybe you've spoken some words that weren't Christian words, and God needs to change your vocabulary about how you speak about people. That would be a good time to talk about that with God. So however the Spirit moves you, as we stand at this time and engage in worship with the worship leaders, uh, you can stand and just let God move you. Let the Spirit move you to where you need to go at this moment.